Chapter Eighteen of Indiana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Indiana by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter Eighteen. This is a wretchedly devised falsehood said raymond as soon as the sound of ralph's footsteps had died away sir ralph needs a lesson and i will administer it in such shape i forbid it said indiana in a cold determined tone my husband is here ralph never lied you and i are lost there was a time when the thought would have frozen me with horror to-day it matters little to me very well said raymond seizing her in his arms excitedly since death encompasses us be mine forgive everything and let your last word in this supreme moment be a word of love my last breath a breath of joy this moment of terror and courage might have been the sweetest moment in my life she said but you have spoiled it for me there was a rumbling of wheels in the farmyard and the bell at the gate of the chateau was rung by a strong and impatient hand i know that ring said indiana watchful and cool ralph did not lie but you have time to escape go i will not cried raymond i suspect some despicable treachery and you shall not be the only victim i will remain and my breast shall protect you there is no treachery listen the servants are stirring and the gate will be open directly go the trees in the garden will conceal you and the moon is not fairly out yet not a word more but go raymond was compelled to obey but she accompanied him to the foot of the stairs and cast a searching glance about the flower garden all was silent and calm she stood a long while on the last stair listening with terror to the grinding of his footsteps on the gravel entirely oblivious of her husband's arrival what cared she for his suspicions and his anger provided that raymond was out of danger as for him he crossed the stream and hurried swiftly through the park he reached the small gate and in his excitement had some difficulty in opening it he was no sooner in the road than sir ralph appeared in front of him and said with as much sang-froid as if he were accosting him at a party be good enough to let me have that key if there should be a search for it it would be less inconvenient for it to be found in my hands raymond would have preferred the most deadly insult to this satirical generosity i am not the man to forget a well-meant service said he i am the man to avenge an insult and to punish treachery sir ralph changed neither his tone nor his expression i want none of your gratitude he rejoined and i await your vengeance tranquilly but this is no time to talk there is your path think of madame delmar's good name and he disappeared this night of agitation had overturned raymond's brain so completely that he would readily have believed in witchcraft at that moment he reached cercy at daybreak and went to bed with a raging fever as for madame delmar she did the honors of the breakfast-table for her husband and cousin with much calmness and dignity she had not as yet reflected upon her situation she was absolutely under the influence of instinct which enjoined sang-froid and presence of mind upon her the colonel was gloomy and thoughtful 
but it was his business alone that preoccupied him, and no jealous suspicion found a place in his thoughts. Toward evening Raymond mustered courage to think about his love, but that love had diminished materially. He loved obstacles, but he hated to be bored, and he foresaw that he should be bored times without number now that Indiana had the right to reproach him. However, he remembered at last that his honor demanded that he should inquire for her, and he sent his servant to prowl around Lagny and find out what was going on there. The servant brought him the following letter, which Madame Delmar herself had handed him. I hoped last night that I should lose either my reason or my life. Unhappily for me, I have retained both, but I will not complain. I have deserved the suffering that I am undergoing. I chose to live this tempestuous life. It would be cowardly to recoil today. I do not know whether you are guilty. I do not want to know. We will never return to that subject, will we? It causes us both too much suffering. So let this be the last time it is mentioned between us. You said one thing at which I felt a cruel joy. Poor noun, from your place in heaven forgive me. You no longer suffer. You no longer love. Perhaps you pity me. You told me, Raymond, that you sacrificed that unhappy girl to me, that you loved me better than her. Oh, do not take it back. You said it, and I feel so strongly the need to believe it that I do believe it. And yet your conduct last night, your entreaties, your wild outbreaks, might well have made me doubt it. I forgive you on account of the mental disturbance under which you were laboring. But now you have had time to reflect, to become yourself once more. Tell me, will you renounce loving me in that way? I, who love you with my heart, have believed hitherto that I could arouse in you a love as pure as my own. And then I had not thought very much about the future. I had not looked ahead very far, and I had not taken alarm at the thought that the day might come when, conquered by your devotion, I should sacrifice to you my scruples and my repugnance. But today it can no longer be the same. I can see in the future only a ghastly parallel between myself and Noun. Oh, the thought of being loved no more than she was, if I believed it! And yet she was lovelier than I, far lovelier. Why did you prefer me? You must have loved me differently and better. That is what I wanted you to say. Will you give up being my lover in the way that you have been? In that case I can still esteem you. Believe in your remorse, your sincerity, your love. If not, think of me no more. You will never see me again. I shall die of it, perhaps, but I would rather die than descend so low as to be your mistress. Raymond was sorely embarrassed as to how he should reply. This pride offended him. He had never supposed hitherto that a woman who had thrown herself into his arms could resist him thus outspokenly, and give reasons for her resistance. She does not love me, he said to himself. Her heart is dry. She is naturally overbearing. From that moment he loved her no longer. She had ruffled his self-esteem. She had disappointed his hope of triumph, defeated his anticipations of pleasure. In his eyes she was no more than Noun had been. Poor Indiana, who had longed to be so much more. Her passionate love was misunderstood. Her blind confidence was spurned. Raymond had never understood her. How could he have continued to love her? 
Thereupon he swore in his irritation that he would triumph over her. He swore it not with a feeling of pride, but in a revengeful spirit. It was no longer a matter of snatching a new pleasure, but of punishing an insult, of possessing a woman, but of subduing her. He swore that he would be her master, were it but for a single day, and that then he would abandon her, to have the satisfaction of seeing her at his feet. On the spur of the moment he wrote this letter. You want me to promise. Foolish girl, can you think of such a thing? I will promise whatever you choose, because I can do nothing but obey you. But if I break my promises, I shall be guilty neither to God nor to you. If you love me, Indiana, you would not inflict these cruel torments on me. You would not expose me to the risk of perjuring myself. You would not blush at the thought of being my mistress. But you think that in my arms you would be degraded. He felt that his bitterness was making itself manifest, despite his efforts. He tore up this sheet, and after taking time to reflect, began anew. You admit that you nearly lost your reason last night. For my part, I lost mine altogether. I was culpable, but no, I was mad. Forget those hours of suffering and excitement. I am calm now. I have reflected. I am still worthy of you. Bless you, my angel from heaven, for saving me from myself, for reminding me how I ought to love you. Now, Indiana, command me. I am your slave, as you well know. I would give my life for an hour in your arms, but I can suffer a whole lifetime to obtain a smile from you. I will be your friend, your brother, nothing more. If I suffer, you shall not know it. If my blood boils when I am near you, if my breast takes fire, if a cloud passes before my eyes when I touch your hand, if a sweet kiss from your lips, a sisterly kiss, scorches my forehead, I will order my blood to be calm, my brain to grow cool, my mouth to respect you. I will be gentle, I will be submissive, I will be unhappy, if you will be the happier therefore and enjoy my agony. If only I may hear you tell me again that you love me. Oh, tell me so. Give me back your confidence and my joy. Tell me when we shall meet again. I know not what result the events of last night may have had. How does it happen that you do not refer to the subject, that you leave me in an agony of suspense? Carl saw you all three walking together in the park. The colonel seemed ill or depressed, but not angry. In that case, Ralph did not betray us. What a strange man! But to what extent can we rely on his discretion? And how shall I dare show myself at Lagny now that our fate is in his hands? But I will dare. If it is necessary to stoop so low as to implore him, I will silence my pride. I will overcome my aversion. I will do anything rather than lose you. A word from you, and I will burden my life with as much remorse as I am able to carry. For you I would abandon my mother herself. For you I would commit any crime. Ah, if you realize the depth of my love, Indiana. The pen fell from Raymond's hands. He was terribly fatigued. He was falling asleep. But he read over his letter to make sure that his ideas had not suffered from the influence of drowsiness but it was impossible for him to understand his own meaning. His brain was so affected by his physical exhaustion. He rang for his servant, bade him to go to Lagny before daybreak. 
then slept that deep, refreshing sleep whose tranquil delights only those who are thoroughly satisfied with themselves really know. Madame Delmar had not retired. She was unconscious of fatigue and passed the night writing. When she received Raymond's letter, she answered it in haste. "'Thanks, Raymond, thanks. You restore my strength and my life. Now I can dare anything, endure anything, for you love me, and the most severe tests do not alarm you. Yes, we will meet again. We will defy everybody. Ralph may do what he will with our secret. I am no longer disturbed about anything since you love me. I am not even afraid of my husband. You want to know about our affairs. I forgot to mention them yesterday, and yet they have taken a turn which has an important bearing on my fortunes. We are ruined. There is some talk of selling Lagny, and even of going to live in the colonies. But of what consequence is all that? I cannot make up my mind to think about it. I know that we shall never be parted. You have sworn it, Raymond. I rely on your promise. Do you rely on my courage? Nothing will frighten me. Nothing will turn me back. My place is established at your side, and death alone can tear me from it. Mere woman's effervescence, said Raymond, crumpling the letter. Romantic projects, perilous undertakings, appeal to their feeble imaginations, as bitter substances arouse a sick man's appetite. I have succeeded. I have recovered my influence. And as for all this impudent folly with which she threatens me, we will see. It is all characteristic of the light-headed false creatures, always ready to undertake the impossible, and making of generosity a show virtue which must be attended with scandal. Who would think to read this letter that she counts her kisses and doles out her caresses like a miser? That same day he went to Lagny. Ralph was not there, and the colonel received him amicably and talked to him confidentially. He took him into the park, where they were less likely to be disturbed, and told him that he was utterly ruined, and that the factory would be offered for sale on the following day. Raymond made generous offers of assistance, but Delmar declined them. "'No, my friend,' he said. "'I have suffered too much from the thought that I owed my fate to Ralph's kindness. I was in too much of a hurry to repay him. The sale of this property will enable me to pay all my debts at once.' To be sure, I shall have nothing left, but I have courage, energy, and business experience. The future is before us. I have built up my little fortune once, and I can begin it again. I must do it for my wife's sake, for she is young, and I don't wish to leave her in poverty. She still owns an estate of some little value at Ile Bourbon, and I propose to go into retirement there and start in business afresh. In a few years, in ten years at most, I hope that we shall meet again. Raymond pressed the colonel's hand, smiling inwardly at his confidence, at his speaking of ten years as of a single day, when his bald head and enfeebled body indicated a feeble hold upon existence, a life near its close. Nevertheless, he pretended to share his hopes. I am delighted to see, he said, that you do not allow yourself to be cast down by these reverses. I recognize your manly heart, your undaunted courage. But does Madame Delmar display the same courage? Do you not anticipate some resistance on her part to your project of expatriation? I shall be very sorry, the colonel replied, 
but wives are made to obey not to advise i have not yet definitely made my purpose known to indiana with the exception of yourself my friend i do not know what there is here that she should feel any regret at leaving and yet i anticipate tears and nervous attacks from a spirit of contradiction if nothing else the devil take the woman however my dear raymond i rely upon you all the same to make my wife listen to reason she has confidence in you use your influence to prevent her from crying i detest tears raymond promised to come again the next day and inform madame delmar of her husband's decision you will do me a great favor said the colonel i will take ralph to the farm so that you may have a good chance to talk to her well luck is on my side thought raymond as he took his leave End of chapter eighteen